available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout.com network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on the Scout.com network. And we are the Podcast of Champions. We are counting down till National Letter of Intent Day, signing day, as everyone likes to call it. We wanted to do a podcast talking about Pac-12 recruiting, Dave. I know. And it's uh, it's heating up. I think that's what the kids say these days. It's heating up. <laughs> Down the stretch here. Um, the kids haven't said that in 50 years. Uh, but it's okay. Um, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, I think a lot of movers and shakers out west. I think it might not be, it might not be one of those years where a Pac-12 team is like a top five-ish recruiting team, but there's a lot of teams solidly in the top 40. A lot of teams, I think, recruiting better, um, than they typically do, um, as you might expect with a year where, um, you know, schools like, you know, Oregon State showed some promise at the end of the year. Might be seeing a boost from it. And uh, some weird things are happening, like Arizona being ranked in the top 40 right now. We'll yeah, see yeah. if that holds up. But And your uh, Colorado Buffaloes winning 10 games. That helps. Yeah. Yeah, they're top 25 right now. And we'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if that, that holds up as well. And so we're going to have um, – we're, we're honored, really honored, to have uh, Brandon Huffman on Scout.com National – I never get his title right. I never do. Director of scouting? Is that where we are? I think you're right. I think you're right. Is that the director of scouting or director of recruiting? He's the director of scout recruiting, uh, <laughs> Brandon. And so we're going to have him on, which is going to be great. I think it'll be awesome. Brandon is such a guru when it comes to recruiting, uh, the West Coast especially, but he's a national guy, like Dave said. Um, we haven't had a show for a couple of weeks, so if you, you don't know our contact information, you can email us, pac12podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions. Tweet us, tweet at us, uh, at Pac-12 Podcast. Our website is Pac-12Podcast.com, or you can leave a voicemail at 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. We're on iTunes and Audio Boom and all that kind of stuff. So hope you guys have been enjoying the show. And uh, we wanted to do, like we said, because, you know, signing day is just around the corner. We wanted to do a recruiting show. And then we're going to need some ideas, Dave, after that. So, you know, hitting in the spring yeah. ball, we'll do some previews. So please, people, send in your ideas. We would love to talk about them. Yeah, and we don't care. I mean, if it's like some stupid question, we'll try to make 40 minutes out of it. Just give us <laughs> give us whatever you have. Give us what you got. I think we do have some questions, so maybe after Brandon, after we disconnect with Brandon, Dave, maybe we'll answer a few of those questions at the end, too, if that's okay. That seems legit. All right, we are now joined by, uh, again, not director of scouting, whatever, Brandon Huffman. Brandon Huffman, the great one. How are you? Dave, I so miss your voice on the other end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys haven't done a broadcast. You haven't done a broadcast sure. in a while. No, not that I don't miss you, Ryan. I yeah. miss you both. Yeah, we got it. We should. We got to get you on the Peristyle podcast too. But I know you guys. Yeah. You were regular on the broadcast. Yes, but I'm an equal opportunity podcaster. Yeah, especially now that I've been cheating on you. You have. You have. Yeah. I'm. I'm a. I will just say that I will make myself available to anybody at this point. I'm pretty much throwing myself at everybody. <laughs> Very nice. Well, we wanted we wanted to talk uh, some Pac-12 recruiting because uh, uh, 
as we talked about, we're uh, we're getting down the stretch here with signing day less than a week away. Is that right? Yeah. Six days, yeah, less than a week. Ooh. Ooh, time flies when you're covering a bunch of 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds. That's <laughs> um, but we wanted to start with, uh, you know, just talking through the right now. So we're going to go in, um, I think we're going to try to talk about every team in reverse order of the current scout.com recruiting rankings. Um, and that leaves us starting with Cal. Um, Wait, Dave. Topsy Turvy. Dave, well, we're starting with California Golden Bears. <laughs> Uh, you always sneak that in on me. You always do. Um, <laughs> we're starting in on uh, Topsy Turvy Cal uh, that recently lost Sonny Dykes, head coach, um, and uh, has a new head coach. So uh, I, I guess the top question here is what kind of impact have you seen from the coaching change so far, Brandon? Well, they've lost a couple commitments, and they gained one commitment, interestingly enough, the day after they fired Sonny Dykes, which I don't know if that's an indictment on Sonny Dykes or just kind of shows you how screwy recruiting is. But they literally got a kid to flip the day after Sonny Dax was fired, and he's their highest-rated recruit at this point, and that would have been Elijah Hicks from La Mirada, who had been a Notre Dame commit. Uh, he committed the day he was supposed to enroll at Cal. They have a small class. They still may lose another couple guys that are um, taking business elsewhere, but probably the most interesting aspect is they lost one just a, a little bit earlier on Thursday. Jordan Genmark Heath out of San Diego flipped to Notre Dame, so... They've got their work cut out for them these next six, seven days. Is it the sort of situation where they only have a certain number of scholarships to give, or would they like to have you know a class double this size? No, they would love to have a class that's a big class, but there was just so much uncertainty in the early part of the recruiting cycle in terms of the dead period in December because, remember, at that point, Sonny Docks was interviewing or making himself available for just about any job west of California. And a lot of guys were having a hard time really feeling like Cal was the place for them if Dykes was so uh, willing to leave. Then they lose their most – I mean, every single assistant coach has been replaced at Cal. So they are – they're really in a, in a tough place right now just in terms of trying to put the rest of this class together. But they will probably have to really ramp up their efforts for the 2018 class. The positive to that is they have a coach there who's probably going to be there for – four or five years that isn't going to be looking to leave anytime soon. So they'll have some stability. More importantly, they're going to have coaches that realize you can't recruit Texas exclusively when you're in a Bay area school. So they may just have to take a mulligan with this class and really focus the efforts on getting 2018 kids. Hey, Brandon, uh, Justin Wilcox, you know, when he was defensive coordinator in the PAC 12, wasn't really known as a great recruiter. Do you think that's going to have an impact on, you know, what his, him and his staff do going forward? I think it will have an impact in the sense that if you aren't getting out there and active as a head coach, you better find some assistants that are willing to do that job. And obviously, getting a guy like Marcus Tuyasasopo, who two years ago was the Pac-12 recruit of the year, that helps. Uh, Gerald Alexander, who had been at Boise State as a player personnel guy at Washington, then at Montana State, young, energetic guy. Uh, Obviously, Tim DeRuiter's got head coaching experience. Bo Baldwin had had done a fantastic job so far at Eastern Washington. Uh, with getting some three-star kids that had Power 5 offers and some Mountain West offers. So he's got some assistance that will get after it. But Wilcox is going to have to realize now you can't just be a coordinator. One of the the real uh, priorities of a head coach is to get out there and recruit. And if that's still not his bread and butter, he sure as heck better put a staff together that does that. And I think right now he's putting together a staff that will follow through with recruiting efforts. And just to give people a picture of Cal's class, because I realize I didn't intro it at all, they currently have 10 commits, uh, two four-stars, six three-stars, 
uh, evenly split offensive defense, um, only a three-star average. So um, that's not quite bringing up the rear in the Pac-12. There's a little bit more quality than some of the other teams have, but um, definitely need to get the numbers up. All right, moving yes. on to Utah. Um, Utah is ranked first, uh, number 55 uh, overall with 12 commits, so not a, not a huge class at this point. Um, they have uh, five four-stars, seven three-stars, and they have a 3.42 star average. Um, Utah's kind of a interesting thing. <laughs> you keep forgetting You're going to get me every time with that. <laughs> uh, Utah's kind of an interesting position because they've been, I mean, probably the most consistent of the Pac-12 South Towers, but I don't know. What's what's the story with Utah recruiting? Do you think it can ever be a consistent, you know, top 30, top 40 recruiting program? Could that happen there? I think it can. What they need to do is just have some offensive consistency. You know, obviously Joe Williams had a good year running the ball, but the offense has been what was essentially held them back. And it's interesting because when Urban Meyer was there and then Kyle Whittingham early in his career, when they were the BCS busters uh, twice as Mountain West schools, they were known as much for their offense as they were for their defense. Now everybody looks at them for their defense. So they get the guys in the trenches. They get very good offensive and defensive linemen. They need to start bringing in more quality skill position talent. And I think that this class, you know, it's got some issues addressed on the offensive line. Um, they lose Garrett Bowles, which hurts, but they brought in a, another Juco and Jordan Nagasiva. Um, they got a couple other offensive linemen from the prep ranks, Orlando Umana, Marco Richardson. So that helps, but they've got to just improve the skill positions. And, and I think that they're getting there. Um, even though he's not a skilled guy on the offensive side of the ball, Jalen Johnson, when he committed to Utah, surprised everybody because most people thought he was going to USC, maybe Oklahoma, but now they're in a battle to hold on to him. And then just like you would expect from Utah, they're still in the mix for one of the premier defensive linemen in the country in J2 Felly, but USC had him for a visit last weekend, and that went very well for the Trojans. Utah gets the last shot at him, so they, they still have such a fertile recruiting ground of defensive and offensive linemen in state if you, the state of Utah can produce some more quality skill position guys and Utah can keep those kids home, then I think you're looking at a top 25, top 30 class year in and year out. But they really got to ramp up the skill position recruiting. And in terms, of, so in terms of how they might finish in this class, I mean, over the next six days, I mean, is there what, what kind of size class are you projecting they'll end up with? They could still end up with about five or six more commitments. Obviously, the, the big one there is J2 Fele, who is a five-star defensive lineman. That would just absolutely make their class. They would keep the best player in-state home, which over the last three or four years, they, they've struggled to do, and they've lost them in a lot of cases to other Pac-12 schools. So if they can get to Fele, that just not only does it improve their defensive line, but it, it improves their in-state recruiting. Uh, TJ Green, who is a top-10 running back out west, has been committed to Oregon State for quite some time. But he's looking very closely at Utah, obviously saw what Joe Williams did this year. So that certainly is a factor in their favor. And then Brian Thompson, you know, I talked to him yesterday, and he said Utah's leading right now. Former Boise State commit, but he's got a number of Pac-12 offers, top 10 receiver in California, and Utah very well could get him. And then, of course, they're trying to hold on to Jalen Johnson. And then there's still the possibility of getting the number two inside linebacker in the West, Daniel Green, who was a one-time USC commit. Uh, he took a visit there two weeks ago and loved the trip. So they could still close very strongly, uh, but I, I think all eyes are going to be on J2 Fele and Jalen Johnson. Brandon, uh, Utah has got a 3.42 star average and only 12 commits right now. They're, they're ranked number 55. It, could this be a top 25 class if they, they bring in a bunch more guys? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they'll get to the top 25 because that would mean they probably need to get another 8 to 10 guys. I just don't know that they're going to add that many. But in terms of an overall average star ranking, you know, it has a potential to be top 4 or 5 in the Pac-12 if a couple things break right. Obviously, Tufele being a 5-star would really skew the numbers up. And then getting Jalen Johnson back on that list would, would really push it up some more, and then a couple of the other guys, the high three stars that they're in on. Uh, I, I think it's got a chance to probably finish in the top 40, but I just think from a pure number standpoint, they may not have enough juice to get in that top 25, top 30. So we should All uh, right. probably move on, Dave. We'll go to uh, number 44. I'll let you introduce it, but it, they are... Oregon State Beavers. All right, Oregon State, uh, currently 44th in the team rankings, uh, 10th in the Pac-12 with 21 commits. Um, so shaping up to be a pretty big class. Two four-stars, 17 three-stars, uh, 3.0 star average. Um, this is an interesting one because Oregon State um, hasn't been great the last two years. They probably ended the year pretty strong. But, you know, looking at this class, it's stocked full of three-stars. It seems like... A, some quality three stars and a few, sprinkled in a couple of four stars. What's been the message up there that they've been able to uh, put together? I would say, I think you'd all agree a pretty decent class for what Oregon state's put on the field the last two years. It's coaching. And that's what they're able to sell because Gary Anderson did well at Utah state. He did well at Wisconsin. And now he obviously had to essentially start from scratch when he got to Oregon state. And I think that that's what they're really pushing like development. Yes. They're young. Yes. They played a lot of young guys at key positions, but those guys are going to get experience and get older. But then those guys are going to be gone in a year or two. So they're really able to push with a lot of the younger kids. I think where they've done a good job is just recruiting in state and in the Northwest. David Morris was a kid that, you know, typically when Oregon was good, they would recruit the in state kids. But whatever happened to Mark Helfrich, he kind of ignored a lot of the in state kids these last couple classes. Well, David Morris gets an Oregon State offer, commits to them, and then a week later, Oregon offers, thinking that they're going to be able to flip the kid. But Morris felt that love with Oregon State, ended up being moved to a four-star after a fantastic senior season. Isaiah Hodges was a kid that had, you know, Michigan was high on his list. They, they had offered him Nebraska. He was originally committed to Washington State. But even with losing Brent Brandon, they really bonded with Gary Anderson and that Oregon State coaching staff. So they got Isaiah Hodgins. That was a huge gift for them. And he's already on campus. And now he's doing some recruiting of his own with some of his former seven-on-seven teammates. So they've really been able to push player development, a lot of consistency on that staff. They've lost some guys to head coaching positions uh, and into defensive coordinator positions. But for the majority of that staff, they've stayed there. And I think that consistency and stability is what's helping them. Is uh is there a certain side of the ball that really Oregon State has to uh, focus on? I mean, they have they have a lot more offensive uh, players committed right now than defensive. Was that kind of the plan going forward for for Oregon State? Yeah, because their offense really struggled at times last year, and especially at quarterback play. I mean, they've not been able to stay healthy at quarterback. They've lost quarterbacks that had started one year, and the next thing you know, they're transferring. Some started, transferred, returned, and they're playing a different position. So they brought in a prep quarterback in Aiden Wheeler, but then they also went to the JUCO ranks. They went into God's country, into Ventura, to uh, Ventura College. I so knew Jay that Gluten. was coming. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I could not pass that one up. Uh, I started laughing enough, preemptively. Yeah, Luton, Luton's smart, though. Unlike me, who moved from Ventura to Washington, Luton went from Washington to Ventura, and now he'll head back to the Northwest, but after spending a year in the beautiful uh, 805, 
he's got a chance to compete for the starting job at Oregon State because they just didn't have enough quarterback consistency last year, and he's put up great numbers at a very good JUCO program. He's a good-sized kid, a lot more durability there. He's not going to really wow people with his athleticism being as big as he is, but he can move. And so I think that that you got a prep quarterback that you can develop for a couple of years, but then you got a Juco who can come in and play right away. That was a key for Oregon State this year to get key personnel at the skill positions and then get some offensive linemen too to develop over these next couple of seasons. All right, where does Deontay Sykes' commitment to Oregon State <laughs> rank on the reality scale? <laughs> uh, I don't know who's committed to more schools that didn't necessarily stick than Deontay Sykes. I mean. I think I remember at least three his senior year. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, we'll, we'll see. I, right now, Jameer Calvin isn't committed to Oregon State, but I think there's a better chance he goes there than Deontay <laughs> Sykes, given the history. Wow. Yeah. And Deontay Sykes is a talented kid. Uh, Very much so. Hopefully, hopefully it works out for him. Um, all right, we should move on. Yeah. Number, uh, number 41. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> We're streamlined now. We've got this. Yeah. All right. Arizona State, uh, 15. <laughs> Commitments, uh, six four stars, nine three stars, uh, for a solid three point four star average. Um, relatively small class at this point. Um, you know, it's kind of they they're kind of recruiting similar to the way they have. I mean, maybe a little bit lower level because of you know what's gone on with their on the field play, but they've seemed to maintain pretty well um, using the JC ranks. So, what's your take on this class right now? You know, the, it has a chance. I don't think it's going to happen, but it has a chance to get even better if they can pull off uh, somewhat of a shocker and get Isaiah Polamau and Austin Jackson next week. They're both committing next week, but right now it looks like USC is the favorite to land both of them. And that's been an Achilles heel for ASU. They've done a better job than Dennis Erickson did of recruiting in state, but the problem is those top-end guys are still leading the state, and then they're going to other Pac-12 schools. Yes, there was a stretch where they lost Kyle Allen, Mark Andrews, and Christian Kirk to Big 12 and SEC schools, but losing Byron Murphy last year when his two closest friends went to ASU, uh, you know, losing other key players in, in the last few years to California schools or to other Pac-12 schools hurts them. And so they've done a good job in state this year with KJ Jarrell, Tyler Johnson, Ryan Kelly, but losing Austin Jackson and Isaiah Polamal would really hurt them. One thing that you can at least give them a little bit of a credit on is that they went in went after Blake Barnett and, and got him, and he's already enrolled on campus. So they kind of helped solve some of their quarterback issues. He's only going to miss, I think, the first three games before he can compete. But the problem was that the offense coordinator that he was excited to play for, Chip Long, just left. However, Barnett's already signed his letter of intent. I believe he's already on campus, so they don't have to worry about losing him. So there's some good top-end guys, but it could be that much better if they could hold on to a couple of in-state kids. Brandon, what, speaking of in-state, what's what's Arizona? I mean, has, have you seen the quality of football, high school football in Arizona increase over the years? And has that helped teams like Arizona State just keep kind of keeping some of the local guys home? Absolutely. The problem that they've had is that they've had some great in-state players leave over the last couple of years. You had Craig Rowe and Taylor Luan both leaving Arizona to go to Michigan. And, you know, Luan ends up a first-round draft pick, Rowe the three-year starter. Uh, they lose Devon Kennard to USC, Everson Griffin to USC. Brett Hundley and Paul Perkins go to UCLA. Uh, Christian Kirk, SEC Freshman of the Year and All-SEC Receiver the next year. Mark Andrews is a big-time player at uh, Oklahoma. And the problem is Arizona and Arizona State both have kind of bled some of that top-end talent and not been able to keep those kids home. And then those kids have flourished elsewhere. 
what that does is that it puts that trickle down effect to that next group of guys, that next generation that said, Hey, you know, yeah, there's good football at Arizona, Arizona state, but a lot of our guys are leaving and they're finding success. Maybe that's the route I want to go. So I know Ryan Kelly, um, their four star quarterback commitment. He decommitted from Oregon way back when, then mm-hmm. committed to ASU with them taking Blake Barnett and just, you know, Chip Lindsay also leaving. Is it, is he looking around at all or is he staying put at this point? You know, there had been a lot of buzz, a lot of rumors last week that he may be looking elsewhere because not only were they bringing in uh, Blake Barnett in this class, but there was talk that they could bring in a third quarterback, and mostly for depth purposes. But Kelly is, is certainly uh, a key guy they don't want to hold on to, and he's been tweeting the right things in the last couple of days. But, you know, who knows what happens in the next five, six days. I, I think they probably have weathered that storm a little bit. I know he was disappointed. And the departure of Lindsey, uh, not Chip Long, like I said. I don't know who Chip Long is. Uh, but in terms of uh, just feeling like the staff was not the same staff he committed to, that's been something that's caused some questions with him. And then certainly the the signing of Barnett, uh, who's only a year ahead of him. Uh, well, I guess, no, he'd be a, reg- a true redshirt sophomore next year. So he's two years ahead. So there's enough of a stagger there. Uh, right. But I think with, with, in Kelly's case, the Pickens are slim at this point. Mostly every other Pac-12 school has their quarterback, so he's probably better off just sticking it out. And, and it sounds like from his tweets, he isn't planning to go anywhere else. All right. Uh, moving on. Number 40. So just one notch up from ASU, we have Washington State Cougars. All right. Washington State, uh, not much room move further up they've got 24 commitments already three four stars 16 three stars and an unnamed five two stars or below uh 2.88 star average which is actually lowest in the pac 12 right now um for washington state not a horrible class but you might expect a little bit more momentum coming off a season where they you know finished well didn't finish well but had a really nice eight game stretch in the middle of the year um but uh, what's your take right now on uh, Washington State's class? Well, losing Joe Salavea to Oregon kind of hurt them. I saw Kelamite, who had been committed, who flipped from Boise State, ended up flipping back to Boise State. So that was a little bit of a loss for them. Um, they had Isaiah Hodgins committed at one point. He's a four-star. He's at Oregon State now. They had Cyrus Habibi Lakio, four-star running back. He's likely headed to a different Pac-12 school. Uh, they just lost Joe Tryon, a, a mid-three-star kid that had been committed to them for quite some time. He flipped to Washington. I don't think anybody, believe it or not, with the stretch UCLA had where they were losing guys left and right, I think Washington State may have more decommitments in the last year than any school in the Pac-12, which you know, kind of hurts the strength of the class when they lose guys that end up being pretty highly sought after and highly ranked guys. Uh, but I, I think that you know it is a solid class top to bottom. They got a couple four-star kids. Uh, from the Northwest, Dante Powell, an offensive lineman, Connor Neville, quarterback from Oregon, and then a really good Juco and Robert Valencia who can come in and play any of the offensive line spots and will be expected to come in and play right away. So it's a solid class. Um, I think dealing with the loss of Salavea uh, hurts them a little bit, and they also lost the receivers coach um, as well. So some of their top recruiters are no longer on campus, but they're still holding on to some other key guys. And then they've also got some guys from outside the West that we're not as familiar with that aren't as highly ranked. But those are the guys that end up probably going and Mike Leach figures out how to use them quicker and pretty well. You see you see the way they throw the ball all over the field. Don't offensive recruits just want to line up and play in that kind of offense? It just seems like it would be so much fun. 
you, you you think so. I mean, that's one of the selling points that they've had is they've had guys that are going and they're putting up video game numbers. The third receiver's putting up big numbers. I think River Craycraft and Gabe Marks ended up with two most productive one-two receiver punch in Pac-12 history by the time their careers were done. But for whatever reason, they, they have not found the success to be as easy at recruiting the receivers at West. And I don't know what that is. Uh, why? Because they're, they don't hide the fact that they're trying to throw the ball, but for whatever reason, and maybe it's because they've had a lot of turnover at the receivers coach position. I think they're on their fourth different receivers coach, fifth different receivers coach since Mike Leach took over. Those guys want to go and they, they move upward. They trend upward to different positions. And I think that maybe just that lack of stability at the receiver position has hurt their efforts recruiting wise. No, what's in your opinion? What's kind of best case scenario for Washington State in terms of recruiting? Because they're, I mean, clearly due to location and for any other issues, they're never going to be a top twenty-ish uh, recruiting power. But what's your like? What's your feel on you know what's their peak potential as a program? I mean, they could be a top thirty, top thirty-five type recruiting program. The other thing that they, that hurts them, and, and this is probably worse than anybody in the Pac-12 with their the hand that they're dealt is. There's just not a lot of talent in Eastern Washington, at least of the high major variety. You know, Oregon and Oregon State are still relatively close enough to Portland where they can get those Portland area kids to, to come. But, you know, Pullman's a good three and a half, four hours from Seattle. And Spokane just doesn't put out enough top end talent to have a big base nearby that they can grab kids from. And the kids in the Western part of the state typically want to go to Washington. Or they'll, they'll find that Oregon, Oregon State are equidistant is Washington State. So not having a fertile backyard hurts them. So they've had to really kind of stretch their, their recruiting map. And that's where I think it, what keeps them from being a top 25 type recruiting program. They have to find guys that fit and that fit Mike Leach's profile and fit, you know, uh, the, the caliber of player that wants to be in Pullman, Washington. All right, we should uh, move on up to number 36, Dave. We have Arizona Wildcats. All right, Arizona already has a full class, 25 commitments. They might take more. We'll see. Uh, one four-star, 21 three-stars, 2.92 star average. Again, very big class. Um, looking at Arizona right now, um, obviously they just, they're coming off a terrible, terrible year. Um, what's your take on their class, and are they going to close with more guys? I think that their class right now is, you know, they'd probably rather just stop the bleeding because they had the potential to have a very good class. And then they started losing guys. And it started not long after Dante Williams took the Nebraska defensive backs job. Then the one that really hurt them was losing Braxton Burmeister, who had been committed for about a year, decommitted, opened things up, then recommitted to Arizona, was set to move in about two weeks ago when Oregon offered him, and then he flipped to Oregon. So they don't have a quarterback coming in in this class. And if people have watched Arizona this year, they they have, I guess the one quarterback they do have is Rhett Rodriguez, who is Rich Rod's son. Uh, I don't know that he's of the caliber that it's a Pac-12 guy right yet. He may have some time to develop. Um, and I'm sure that the head coach is going to be patient with him, uh, just so he doesn't have to hear about it from the kid's mother. But having said that, I don't know that he is, you know, the answer quarterback. And so losing Burmeister, who they had essentially recruited for two and a half years, expecting him to come in, has hurt their quarterback recruiting for this year. Uh, they've done a good job at the linebacker spot. They got some guys that I absolutely love. I mean, three guys that I, that are just straight up football players. And Arizona had success with, with Scooby Wright, who maybe didn't have the measurables that popped and made a lot of schools covet him, but he was a phenomenal player there. 
Anthony Pandy was one of the best defensive players in the city section. Colin Schooler, one of the best football players in Orange County. And then Josh Brown was one of the best football players in the Pac-5 at Long Beach Poly. All three of those guys are committed. And so I really like the, the defensive class that Arizona's put together, which is where their real needs had been on defense. Their offense hasn't had the issues that their defense has had. So they're trying to find some guys that fit, that can come in and play and really shore up that defense. What's the uh, pitch from Rich Rod kind of been like? I mean, usually when you, you struggle like that, I mean, playing time is always a big thing. What, what's he kind of been using on the recruiting trail? Hey, we got a great basketball atmosphere on Saturdays in the McHale Center. <laughs> um, no, I mean, really, it's been the player development again. I know I've harped on that a little bit, but when you have a guy like Scooby Wright who comes in really unheralded and then turns around and wins right, awards left and right, All-American, you know, it shows that those kids are getting better under these coaches. I, I think offensively what he's having to sell is that, hey, when we're healthy, we can put up good numbers. I just can't keep my quarterback healthy. You know, Anu Solomon had injury issues throughout his career. Brandon Dawkins has had some injury issues. And, and that's J.J. Taylor was off to a great start last year as a true freshman before he got hurt. So really he's just trying to pitch guys that can come in and, and stay healthy because when they're healthy, they're actually playing pretty well. But that's why I think depth is so important in this class. That's why they're bringing in a big class is because they need to really stock the cupboards with quality depth so that they can overcome some of the injuries that have, you know, not their season off track. All right. We should, we should actually move on because okay. we're, we're, we're running against time now. Time is on, not on our side. All right. Number 30. And I'll stop talking so much. No, no, no you're, you're great. You're good. We love it. <laughs> number 30. Oregon Ducks. <laughs> All right, the Ducks have 16 commitments, uh, one top 100 kit, uh, six four stars, ten three stars, 3.38 star average. Not feeling too much of a hit yet from the uh, 4-8 season. Um, they, as you just talked about, they pulled Braxton Burmeister, have some uh, have some pretty solid guys um, already committed. Um, who's who's your favorite guy so far that they've they've got in this class? You know, I'm a big Thomas Graham fan. I, I do like him. I think he's a, he's a good player, and I think he's going to be a, a good, solid player for them. I like Jalen Red. They can hold on to him. I know he's taking some visits, and those two guys are teammates at Ranch Cucamonga. One of my favorite players in the country this year is D'Amador Lenore, and he decommitted really just a couple hours before Mark Helfridge was let go. But a lot of buzz that he's going to commit, recommit to Oregon, I should say, and sign with them, and that would be huge because he is a – fantastic football player he's a tough kid um, there's been a lot of players that have come from Salesian these last couple of years that haven't quite lived up to the hype and the energy and the attention that they've been given but Diometer, I think is the guy that's going to really stem that and, and be a big time impact guy in college and so if they can pull him in I think Willie Taggart should be very happy with the effort that he's put forward these last couple of weeks there's a couple other guys they are looking very good for Cyrus Habibi Lakio. Um, Bruce Judson, who, interestingly enough, he's from Florida, yet his final two are Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, <laughs> one of those two schools is going to go into Florida and, and get him. Um, and, and then, obviously, they got the two kids that committed during the Polynesian Bowl, Isaac Slade Matotua from Honolulu uh, and Austin Falio from Modern Day. But what I think is more important for Oregon, and they may not necessarily feel it next week, they really will see it in 2018. Previous coaches there didn't do a good job of recruiting early. And last week, they went the full Ed Orgeron at Ole Miss and offered everybody in Southern California. And I think it's going to pay dividends for them in the future because they didn't have a big window to recruit this year, but they really need to start making some noise for the 2018 class. And they did a good job 
getting started with a lot of offers going out to 2018 kids. So Taggart's making the most that he can in that small window at Oregon. They didn't do a good job in state. They've only got one in-state commitment, Alex Forsyth, but they lost one in Demetrius Douglas, who'd been committed and flipped to Minnesota. And that should kind of tell you how in-state recruiting has gone. When they're losing, Granted, he had some family ties in Minnesota, but a kid from Portland, from Jesuit High School, one of the premier private programs in the state of Oregon, is rather go to Minnesota than play at Oregon. That just shows you the lack of attention he was getting, even when he was committed from the previous staff. With uh, the, you know, that staff at Oregon, they've had guys on that staff for 25 years and stuff. What, what's the shakeup kind of been with Willie Taggart? And do you see them kind of handling recruiting differently? You already said they're going out early for 2018, but anything else that they're doing kind of different? Well, they're trying to make a renewed effort in state. The problem is, is that it's so late in this cycle that most of those kids just aren't feeling Oregon like they would have been eight, nine months ago when they were in the beginning stages of their recruitment. But I do think that what he has done well is really done a good job of, of making their, the brand a little bit more uh, memorable again and uh, you know, kind of taking the headlines away from some of the other schools in the Pac-12 just by being aggressive and active in Southern California. The gamble is going to be if he keeps trying to make Florida such a full recruiting ground for him, you're going to maybe get a couple guys, but at the end of the day, most of those Florida kids still aren't going to go all the way across the country and play when they have equal opportunity in the South. So they've got to focus on the in-state kids, and the 2018 class is loaded in-state. they got to focus in California, which is what Taggart has done. He has offered a lot of Florida kids in the 2017 class and trying to make a late run, but they've also made a big focus in Southern California, which is, I think is where their bread and butter is going to continue to be in the future. So, All right, we'll move on. Yeah, let's go to number 27. Stanford Cardinal. All right, Stanford has only 12 commits, and they're ranked number 27th, which should give you a little bit of a preview here. Four top 100 kids, three five-stars, four four-stars, and five three-stars for a 3.83-star average. I'm going to guess that's going to be unassailable this year. Um, they have the most Stanford like small class of all time. It's got the two best offensive tackles in the country, Foster Serrell and Walker Little. It has Davis Mills, a five-star quarterback, and a couple of pretty good tight ends. Uh, Brandon, does this mean that uh, Stanford is just going to be Stanford for the next forever again? Yeah, I don't think they're going to be going to the spread anytime soon or any kind of a tempo offense based on that. But like you said, this is the most Stanford team ever most teams like a big play receiver a flashy defensive back only stanford would go after elite off of the tackles an elite tight end and get a good quarterback and think that's exactly their blueprint colby parkinson i've been raving about him for two years i, I think if you take all the stanford tight ends in the last decade and took their best quality put it into a big pot mix it up and said we want all these guys best skill into one tight end Colby Parkinson is what comes out from there. Uh, But then you look at the two offensive linemen. I mean, Walker Little, fantastic offensive lineman. Foster Searle is one of the best tackles I've ever seen. And they get both those guys. They're number two and the number four overall players in the country. Davis Mills is the number six overall player. So half the top six players in the country are going to Stanford. It's not a big class in terms of number, but it's the most quality class so far in the country. Drew Dahlman is a, another very good center. He's the number two center in the West, uh, but a kid that I think, and I've said this before, he's going to be the one that probably surprises everybody, makes us look stupid for not having him ranked high. His dad played in the NFL, played at Stanford, was a coach at Stanford under Jim Harbaugh. He comes from a very good private program at Salinas Palma High School. 
just a real uh, scholarly type of lineman that, you know, that intellectual brutality that Stanford loves to uh, brag about. He's that kind of guy that fits that mentality. So you look at their offensive line class, and you know they've got three outstanding offensive linemen. They got two very good tight ends, the best quarterback in the country. And so while they may not have a big class, there's still a couple guys that they're in the mix for. Connor Weddington is another top 100 player. He decommitted from Washington the day he was admitted into Stanford, and I expect him to announce for them next week. Stanford's going to have the quality top to bottom class that other Pac-12 schools are going to very much be jealous of. Brandon, only three defensive commits right now. Like that can't be right. Like you, you got to get a couple more than that, right? You can't just go with three guys for a whole year. Well, you can't, but they've done a good job of adding defensive guys these last couple of years, and that's where they kind of scuffled this year was on the defensive side of the ball because they were playing a lot of young guys. They they weren't playing with a lot of experience. You know, the, the days of the Trent Murphy, Shane Scove, defensive Ed Rental guys that that wasn't there at Stanford this year because they were doing a lot of trial by error, a lot of. Uh, you know, putting in younger guys that may not have been ready yet. So this year it was about picking up on the offensive side of the ball and without a big class and, and the need offensively, that's where the focus has been. But I think you'll see the focus shifting back to defensive guys in 2018 and then eventually they'll start balancing their classes a little bit better. We got the, I think we got to move on, right? Number, move. number 24, Dave's favorite team, Colorado Buffalo. <laughs> My one true team is uh, 24th in the country, uh, first in our hearts. 24 commitments, four four-stars, 19 three-stars, 3.13 star average. Colorado's making a move back to the top. Brandon, um, does it stop here? Are there more guys to add? Tell me tell me all about Colorado's class. Their, their class could actually get even better here in these next couple of days. Trajan Cotton and Josh Follow, who are teammates at Intercom High School in Sacramento, uh, both have Colorado amongst their final group. Cotton's down to Oregon State and Colorado. Follows down to Colorado, USC, and Oregon. Uh, the advantage that Colorado has with Follow is that both of his older brothers played for Mike McIntyre. His oldest played for him at San Jose State. Uh, his next brother is actually at Colorado right now. So can McIntyre make it three for three? That would be a huge gift for them. That would be their second top 150 guy to join Jake Moretti. But then I think that also makes it easier for Trajan Cotton to go there. And he's a high three star. So their class could get even stronger here. And I think where they really helped themselves, even when they lost some of the assistant coaches that they did, losing Jim Levitt and Charles Clark, which caused a couple of decommitments to happen, what they helped themselves with, most importantly, was that Mike McIntyre's name was mentioned with a lot of head coaching jobs, and he turned those job opportunities down and signed an extension with Colorado. I don't think he's going anywhere while his son's still playing at Colorado, and I think that that stability, that even though they had a good year and maybe this would have been a good time, uh, if you look at it from the outside, for him to leave with the senior-laden, uh, senior-laden squad, McIntyre's sticking it out, and I think that that's going to help them recruiting moving forward. They don't have to worry about McIntyre leaving. Probably my favorite sleeper, if you will, in this class is Jacob Callier from St. John Bosco, part of one of the best programs in the country. And for whatever reason, Callier's recruitment never took off like I thought it would. Uh, but he committed to Colorado in November, and I think they're going to get a very good player there. And I think that that's where J- uh, Mike McIntyre is going to make his money is on those guys that come from big programs but maybe – just didn't get the recruiting attention others did but these are guys that are part of winner programs that that all they do has has been is win and so they have that winner mentality that's kind of changed that culture there when they got to colorado the uh buffaloes and mike mcintyre won 10 games last year it's pretty amazing turnaround uh, a lot of seniors though there's a lot of a lot of players what starts on that team they bring in five jc guys is that kind of an attempt to 
to bridge that gap a little bit to, from the old guys to the young guys? Yeah, there's no question that that's what it is because they did have a pretty experienced, pretty veteran group with a lot of guys that were three- and four-year starters, which is why they took those lumps those first couple years. Now they try to kind of soften that blow a little bit by bringing guys that are more college-ready now and still get some of those younger guys some experience, but without the necessity of those guys being starters the day they step foot on campus. And I think that that is a smart way to go about it. You don't want to go all Kansas State and bring in 20 JUCOs you want to have some balance where you are getting some development, are getting some guys that are maybe a little bit more raw, but you've got some time until you have to play them, but then get some guys that can come in and they're not going to be physically overwhelmed. All right, uh, number 20, we have uh, this team made the playoffs, guys. Washington Huskies. All right, Washington has 16 commitments, 10 four-stars, five three-stars, 3.56-star average. Uh, is the, is it right to consider this perhaps a little bit underwhelming given their uh, given the fact that they made the playoff, or is this in line with what you would have expected from a playoff Washington team? No, I think this two months ago you would have said that this class was had the makings of being a very good class. I never thought they were getting Foster Serrell. I've been on the record for over a year saying he was going to Stanford, so I wasn't surprised. But losing Marlon Tui Pilatu and losing Connor Weddington hurt them because those are their two top commits. One was an in-state kid who'd been committed for ten months when he flipped or when he decommitted to prepare himself to flip. And then Marlon Tui Pilato, that one was a killer because they had just had him on campus for an official visit. They were going to get him early for spring enrollment to be there for spring football. And then they lose him to another Pac-12 school. And he was fantastic at the Army Bowl, top 50 player, a guy that they essentially stole from Oregon in the first place. Uh, I, I think that that is probably not at all what they were prepared for given the year that they had, given just his own words of saying, you know, he really liked it at Washington, had the relationship with the defensive line uh, coach and, and the Washington staff. But there, you, you still look at this class. I mean, there's still some talent there. Hunter Bryant's good. Ty Jones, Alex Cook, Terrell Bynum, three top 300 receivers. Brandon McKinney uh, is a four-star safety. Elijah Molden, an Oregon legacy, an in-state Oregon kid whose dad played there, and they went down and they got him. Uh, Sylvain Ahmed, who's an Army All-American from their backyard, Losing Weddington and Tupelo hurt, but it's still a pretty st- you know, stellar class. But what, what I think Washington has over every other school in the conference is they have the coaching staff that will yeah. develop these mid-range guys and turn them into very good players. I mean, Dave, you know how high I've been on Chris Peterson for almost a decade uh, as one of the premier coaches in college football. And Pete Kwiatkowski, probably the best defensive coordinator in the Pac-12. These guys develop their players so well. So a, a three-star to Chris Peterson, his staff, they usually end up outperforming that ranking when they get to college. You know, uh, you, you know that about Chris Peterson, obviously. He's a great coach. He develops players like you talked about. Uh, but if you're going to make the playoffs and you want to com- compete with the Alabamas, you do kind of need to bring in some of those, you know, you don't want to be the third ranked team in the Pac 12. You want to be one or two moving kind of up there. Do you think Chris Peterson can do that? Can he go in and bring in a couple of five stars every year and, and bring in that full class and develop those guys as well, just like you would a three star? Yeah, I, I do, as long as those kids don't have 4.5 grade point averages and 200, or 2,000 SAT scores, because that's where the problem has been, is keeping those in-state kids, the highly touted kids, away from Stanford. And Steve Sarkeesian had to deal with that at times. Tyrone Willingham did, too, where you look at some of the better players that Stanford has had in the last 10 years, a good number of those guys have been from Washington that had Washington ties that may at one point have been Washington locks, and now Chris Peterson's finding that that is a tough task to, to recruit against kids that are talented kids that 
normally they would be able to get, but the allure of the Stanford degree and the competition, the the success that Stanford's had, it'd be easier if Stanford was going three and nine every year. But these kids have, you know, Stanford has been in a BCS or a playoff type bowl four or five times in the last seven years, and they're getting the the education that Stanford really hammers home with kids. So I think he's going to be able to recruit those five stars and those high four star kids, but if they're going to have to keep going up against Stanford, Stanford's had the advantage on them. And I think that that's the one thing maybe, you know, he wants good student athletes, but maybe not too good a student athletes. So he can <laughs> hold on to a couple of those kids. All right. Uh, All right. Let's go. Let's go lightning round at the last two. Number 18. UCLA Bruins. All right. UCLA has 17 commitments, six, four stars, nine, three stars, two, five stars, 3.59 star average. That's a lot coming off of a four and eight season. Um, Brandon, favorite guy in the class. Give it to me quick. Uh, Jalen Phillips has a chance to be a decent football player when he gets to that next level. Who do you think UCLA closes with? I think that they, I think they're going to flip Sean Seawards. I think he committed to Boise State to make sure he had a place to go. But I think that they're going to probably be able to flip Sean Seawards here. Uh, teammate of Jaxel Kayser, who's already committed to UCLA, uh, committed a couple weeks ago. Uh, probably will close with DeAndre McNeil, the Juco receiver who was going to commit to them two years ago, but ended up signing with Texas. Uh, he would be able to come in and play uh, right away because he's a Juco and he will be, I think, three for three at that point. Uh, and then I, I think if you look at the rest of their class, I mean, there's some guys that they're trying to get from out of the region, guys like Levi Jones, Steven Xavier uh, from Texas, but that's probably a little bit more work than, you know, especially with Xavier visiting Texas this weekend, they probably aren't going to be able to pull that out. I mean, there's talk that they may, but I think at the end of the day, a kid from Austin who has got Texas breathing down his neck and a new coaching staff, that's tough to beat. So I think that they probably close with McNeil uh, and with C-Words, but they may just be content to just hold on to Jackson Kirkland at this point and call it a day. And finally, biggest hole in the class? Quarterback. I mean, yes, Austin Burton is a quarterback coming in, but do you know is he the guy that really is that guy that's going to compete for the starting job when Josh Rosen is gone? I'm not convinced that he is. I think that quarterback play has been their Achilles heel outside of the Hunley and, and Rosen era. It's been their Achilles heel, and recruiting has not been as strong as you would think. Uh, and then, of course, the offensive line has a chance to be salvaged here if they can add a couple more bodies. Uh, but that's been really the big thing. They, you know, receiver. They don't have any receiver commits right now, but they signed enough last year where it's not as big of a pressing need. But they probably wouldn't have minded to just have at least one big play receiver playmaker type. All right. right. Dave takes all my UCLA questions. That's okay, Dave. We'll move on. Number 12. (laughs) USC Trojans. All right. USC has 18 commits, one five-star, nine four-stars, seven three-stars, 3.56-star average. Ryan, take it away. Yeah. uh, What do you think about the the lineman Clayton's been recruiting, uh, Brad? It seems like a, a kind of a shift from all the receivers and skill guys I've been getting lately. I think it's great because if you're going to win in the Pac-12, you got it. You actually have to win in the trenches. And you, you look at the teams that have had success in the Pac-12, you know, the last 10 years, they've been the teams that have done well on the offensive line or on the defensive line. And I think USC is answering that question on both sides of the ball. Obviously, getting Marlon Tui-Pilato was huge for them because not only do they get a talented player on their defensive line, but they cripple another conference foe from getting him. If you could tell me that Brandon Peely would be the third best defensive lineman, the defensive tackle that USC brought in, you'd, you know, you'd be pretty content with that because they are doing very well to get Jay Tufele. 
If they got Tufele and Tuipalatu, that's two top five defensive tackles in the country. And then Peely becomes a little bit more, not expendable, but he there's not the urgency to have to play him. And then you go back to the offensive line. If Jalen McKenzie is a guy you potentially blue shirt or delay his enrollment, you know, he for some classes, he might be the best offensive lineman they bring in. Instead, he goes to SC, and he's about the fourth best lineman that they bring in. Uh, obviously, Elijah Vera Tucker is a talent, one of the top linemen in Northern California. Brett Nealon is the number one center in the West. And then you got Andrew Voorhees, who I think is going to surprise some people when he gets there. And then they still are in the mix for Austin Jackson. You look at that defensive line class, and Clay Helton, uh, Bill Calloway, Kenichi Dizzi have got to be stoked with the potential that they have on those sides of the ball. And then last one, just, uh, Aubrey Solomon, five star, everything, uh, linemen that, you know, Michigan and Alabama are both after with USC. Did the Trojans have a real shot at him? And what would that mean for their class? Well, it would just show once again that USC is a national recruiting powerhouse because they're going to get their kids from the West Coast. They're going to get the top players on the West. They do that every year. That hasn't changed. Even when there was the uncertainty with the previous coaching staff, they still recruited well from the West. But if they can go get an Aubrey Solomon, it just shows you again the power of the SC brand from a recruiting standpoint nationally, that they can go into SEC country and they can go beat Big Ten type opponents and SEC opponents to bring a kid across the country. That's where Pete Carroll really succeeded. That's where the early part of Lane Kiffin's career, he succeeded, was getting those national guys and bringing them out west and getting SEC type talent and, and athleticism on the SEC on the SC roster and really again showing that this is what they can do when they win they could go in and handpick some of those elite players nationally and bring them out west all right all right Brandon you're a stud thank you hey it was good just talk with you guys I could have gone longer just to hear your guys' voices when you ask me questions <laughs> we do appreciate it Brandon thanks for coming on it was uh it was great man if you would nowhere else you're gonna get that we're gonna get tidbits on every single Pac-12 team in recruiting. So that was awesome stuff. Hey, thanks. I'm just glad that somebody asked me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you on the broadcast again, all right, Brandon? Oh, thanks. That's all I wanted to hear. All right. Is thanks, a, buddy. See a, you guys. See you, man. Thanks. And uh, Dave, is that, a, is that a Blair thing? Is that what's going on? Do you have Blair on instead of Brandon now? No. no I think for... it's because Dave just does a good job of doing them after each game and whatnot, and Everybody was so depressed after the game that it was just like, here, here's 20 minutes of why the team sucks. We're gone. Yeah. I, so I was doing, cause I was, I was doing them late at night, um, after all the football games solo. And then I couldn't summon the energy to do another one in the middle of the week. And my sound system is so stupid that I have trouble recording on my end. And uh. so I would have had to like tell Brandon how to record. And at no point did I summon the energy to actually do that. And so <laughs> instead I just went five months without a co-host of any kind. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Brandon. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on, fellas. Awesome. Well, that was great. Uh, love Brandon Huffman. Man, I can't believe you don't have him a guest more, Dave. You should have him on the broadcast all the time. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very stupid. Just very, very dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I finally got some co-hosts again this month. So I'll probably, probably doing with Brandon pre-signing day. Um, but yeah, that was fun. You know, it's fun. It's funny. Like we cover specific teams and usually you can rattle off a lot of information about the players, whoever, you know, whoever you cover, you, you know, a lot about the team that you cover. And I always sure. find it fascinating. Like if we have like Bruce Feldman on and he's talking about, you know, some assistant coach from Iowa State and then Boston College. And then you're like, what? How do you know all that stuff? Or like Brandon just like rattling off knowing, you know, this guy was here. He committed there. I mean, just to be able to know that for all these teams. 
um, is pretty impressive to me. Yeah, I sometimes want to make up a fake name and just see if he'll like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that guy, you know. But no, he, he's he's got an encyclopedic uh, knowledge of this stuff. And if you ask him, so Brandon, like, we should have like a historical show where we just ask him about old games and see if we can stump him. Like, hey, Brandon, <laughs> do you remember the 1993 game between UCLA and USC? And he'll like rattle off like seven facts about it. It's insane. <laughs> that is that's pretty awesome. But Brandon does a great job. Um, and uh, we, wait, what's it? What's his Twitter? We gotta give out. We didn't give out his Twitter handle. I think he's just at Brandon Huffman. Let me look at it real quick. Yeah, just at Brandon Huffman. Okay. So we're not jerks. Yeah, he's just at Brandon Huffman. At Brandon Huffman. So follow, give give him a if you don't follow him right and you follow us like you're pretty stupid. You should follow him yeah, before you follow us. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing it super wrong. Um, um, yeah, but that was that was really great. Um, kind of gives us a lay of the land. I, I tainted some of those questions by asking like first if. Uh, if Washington's class was disappointing and it's currently a top 20 class, so that seems kind of insane, but whatever. But you, you know, it makes sense. It's like, cause you know, Chris Peterson, when he was at Boise, he was able to, you know, you're doing more with less. But when you're at a blue blood, you, you don't really, you know, does the fan base want him to do more with less? They'd rather get the more, you know, and do more with more. Yeah. Do more with more. Do like the proper amount for, you know, a super elite class, right? Win at everything. Don't just win at one thing. But I don't, I'm just not sure if that's his personality. If he, you know, it, it does take a little something if you're going after some of the prima donna guys and, you know, are they guys that fit what he wants and, you know, what he wants to do? It, it might not be. Um, but you know, he's proven he's losing guys to the NFL and replacing them with guys you maybe never heard of and they're doing great. Um, I don't, th- you know, there's plenty of different ways to skin a cat, but if you're, you know, you're a Washington fan and you're like, why don't we have a top five class or why don't we have a top 10 class? You know, it, so I can see there'd be a little frustration there, but you know, I, he's proven he doesn't need that to win. Yeah, definitely true. Definitely true. But yeah, that was a interesting discussion of, uh, of getting kind of a, a rundown of everything going on. And it sounds like the, the bottom half of the conference is actually written fairly well. It's nice to see. Yeah. You want to get us some questions? Yeah, we can. I think we have some Twitter questions too. Do you want to read one of the voicemails and? Or what would you uh, like to do? The emails. One I'm the sorry, emails, the emails. Yeah, the emails. Sorry. I'd have I'd have a lot of trouble reading you a voicemail. <laughs> Come on, Dave, know. you can do it. Yeah. All right, uh, uh, we've got one from Dwight uh, DH. Sorry, uh, full game brain freeze. Long time listener to the Parastyle Podcast and USCFootball.com subscriber, enjoying the addition of the Pac-12 Podcast by listening to you. I would like to hear your opinion on why, year after year, the seemingly better team, coming off a solid regular season and favored by oddsmakers, fails to show up for its bowl game. To put it another way, what causes a team coming off a barely mediocre regular season plus, in many cases, distracted by coach coordinator early departures, player mutinies, and other off-field controversies, to find a way to hold things together long enough to win their bowl game? Um, this is an interesting question. Um, motivations are incredibly hard to track, especially when you get to bowl games, but general um you know it's it's hard to see a, a situation going one way or another it can be difficult you know who would have predicted i think was what minnesota with all their issues um winning that game I, I, so just to go back for a second brandon huffman can remember games from 24 years ago with like <laughs> like laser accuracy i can't remember like what i had for breakfast this morning let alone football games that happened three weeks ago um, I think Minnesota won a football game this year. I'm not sure. Um, they did it after some controversy, I think. 
Um, but anyway, it's really hard to come up with um, to come up with what the motivations are. I think you know when we are talking about games, we often predict um, like the LA schools if they're not in a big big time bowl game, and UCLA hasn't been in one of those in many moons. But USC has um, when they're unless they're in a big big time bowl game, we'll usually pick against them because we figure most of the time rightly that they're not going to be super stoked about going somewhere else for the holiday season because L.A. is pretty perfect during the holiday season. Um, but that can go the other way, too. Maybe a cold-weather team goes to a hot place and they just want to party all time and they don't actually want to play football. So it can be so many wild different factors. But bowl game, basically, you just have to look at it like this. Bowl season's a whole different thing. Um, different coaches approach it different ways. Different teams approach it different ways. And generally speaking, I wouldn't, bet on it like i wouldn't i wouldn't decide i was going to bet on a bunch of bowl games because i think they're much more crap shooty than anything that goes on in the regular season it is i mean it's like you see what team look different in a bye week and this is like a bye week on steroids um you know we saw that the holiday bowl you know minnesota and washington state if that if that's the game you were thinking of um you know minnesota wins 17 to 12 washington state did not look anything thank, thank- Thanks for saving me there while I was just sitting there fumbling around in my own poop. It was great. <laughs> but, you know, we saw, did Washington State look motivated to play that game? No. And you, you could argue they should have been. You know, this was a, you know, team that won, uh, you know, they, they won eight games. You thought, you know, it started off slow and then they, they had some good parts to it and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, fumbled at the end a little bit, but still they were there. I think there was reason to be motivated there. You want to try to get a win against, against a big, Big Ten opponent, but I think Dave, the way the Pac-12 bowls were set up this year, uh, because only six teams made it, you didn't have some of the the lower teams that we were like going to be happy to be there at six and six and get to a bowl game. Um, it seems like every Pac-12 team was favored; they were ranked ahead of the, their opponent in most cases, you know, except for Washington. Um, so, you know, it's like okay, well, maybe they're not as motivated. They're coming into it and like Minnesota's not that good. Uh, maybe we should be at a better bowl than this. I don't know, but it did, it did seem like motivation when you're the, you know, the higher ranked team or whatever. Sometimes it works against you. And you know, you talked about the LA schools, but I think it's worked for some of the other Pac-12 teams too. Um, you know, Washington looked motivated. They're playing in the playoffs. I mean, you got to be motivated for that. But some of the other ones, it just didn't seem that way. Yeah, for sure. I think that's totally true. And it, it just, it's, it's such a tough thing to gauge. I think somebody who can figure out a formula for it is in line to make a lot of money in Vegas, but I don't think there is one. We had a, we had a tweet. Um, this was actually from a couple of weeks ago. T-Rex wrote in. He said, just got around to listening to our last show. He said, given the comments about Utah's quarterback play, was hoping to hear thoughts on their new offensive coordinator hire. So they ended up hiring Troy Taylor, uh, who ran the passing offense at Eastern Washington. Um, so he's going to be the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Obviously, Eastern Washington can score some points. I don't know if you had any thoughts on on them hiring him, Dave. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably a good hire. I think anybody from that tree um, certainly is uh, a pretty good hire. I think it's interesting, though, that um, Bo Baldwin <laughs> is, went to uh, Cal as their OC, um, and he was the head coach at Eastern Washington uh, from 2008 to 2016, and the passing game coordinator went to Utah, so... I think it'll be an interesting test to see what happens with those two offenses this year. And if there's a noticeable uptick at Utah and maybe, you know, Cal doesn't have a noticeable uptick, maybe we'll learn that Troy Taylor was kind of the, the 
the, the brains behind the operation. But, you know, Bo, Bo Baldwin has such good reviews that I, I tend to think he might have been. And so it'll be interesting to see how much Troy Taylor gleaned from a guy like Baldwin and how much he's going to be able to carry over to that Utah offense. I tend to think Kyle Whittingham uh, controls pretty heavily on both sides of the ball there. Um, I'd be I'd be a little surprised if anything looks too different offensively for Utah really ever under Whittingham. I think he likes, I mean, I don't think he likes the effectiveness of the offense, but I think he likes that general style of offense. I think that's something, you know, kind of run first type thing that he's going to want to keep with going forward. So it'll be interesting to see. I think it'll be an interesting test to see how both of these Eastern Washington guys translate to Pac-12. I want to see that. I mean, I think there's some talent for Utah for sure. And, you know, there's some quarterbacks we've liked at times and they've, it's been up and down. It's almost like watching college basketball where they're like teams go into offensive slumps and they just can't score. And it seems, seems like Utah's offense does that. There's not that like kind of consistent attack that, yeah, maybe you, you had a holding penalty and you have to punt or something, but it just, it just seems like sometimes it does, they don't even look like they know what they're doing. And then other times they look really good. Um, will Troy Taylor be able to take control of that? and put a more consistent offensive attack, spreading it out more. I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. But like you said, what he, was, he, he wasn't really running the show <laughs> at Eastern Washington. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I love seeing guys like that come in and try to make an impact. But does he have the keys to the offense? You know, how much of it was his when he was at Eastern Washington? All things we're going to have to try to find out. But, I, yeah, I think it's an interesting hire. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've got one from our man Earl in West L.A. Okay. All right, Dave and Ryan, for years, some people outside the conference held the view the Pac-12 is USC and 7, 9, and now 11 other schools. However, is it possible that recent history has reinforced that view? USC experienced the most draconian sanctions in NCAA's history, yet during that time, USC never had a losing season and just won what many are calling the best game of the season in the Rose Bowl. Our conference mates were plucking prime recruits from those 30 scholarships USC lost, but only Stanford has not suffered a losing season since those sanctions were imposed. What a weird metric. Uh, only two schools, not USC, played in the Rose Bowl during that time as well. Yes, those two schools played in it constantly. It seems we basically beat the crap out of each other during the season, but in the end it is the same one or two teams left standing. Not quite unlike the SEC, where there is a huge gap between Alabama and everyone else, only they have a full-time hype machine that caused so many experts to so-called experts to okay sorry i gotta stop right here um usc fan saying anything about another school's hype machine is <laughs> utterly insane and i love it i love you earl it's great um to overrate all the other schools in the conference what can the pac-12 do to get the experts to overrate our conference teams to dispel the view that it is usc and 11 other schools earl that is the politest shade i've ever read about the other schools in the pac-12 um, the two other schools that played in the Rose Bowl during the time that USC has been, shall we say, down, uh, were Stanford and Oregon, both teams that, at least until this past year with Oregon, uh, everyone has freely acknowledged as elite over the last, what, eight years? Um, so I don't, I, I think there is a perception that it is USC certainly with the best chance at doing something big out of the Pac-12, just historically and generally. But I don't, I mean, I don't think it's like, I mean, Stanford was some weird game against Notre Dame, some weird game against Northwestern two years ago from making the playoff. Um, I mean, there's Oregon's made made the playoff once and made the national title game in the BCS before that. Um, I think there's 
there's certainly um, some other potential in the Pac-12. Um, I don't think it's something the Pac-12 needs to do to get people to overrate the conference teams. I think they properly rate conference teams and see that there is potential beyond USC to win. But I, I think, yeah, I think it's true that USC is certainly the the one that's going to have historically the best chance. And going forward, if you were betting on a team to have a, a good chance of making the playoff, it would be USC first. I don't think anyone's arguing that, but I think it's not, you know, it's not USC and then a bunch of, you know, little, you know, <laughs> little sisters of the poor beyond them. Yeah, I think you, you look yeah, at Washington making the pack the the, uh, the playoff this year. That was great. I think it always to me to me it always comes back, Dave, to those early out of conference games that you got to win, and uh, you know you can't be USC and get thumped by fifty points to Alabama, or you're UCLA and you lose to. Uh, weird Texas A&M squad. Just, you've seen those things happen a lot. You got to win some of those early games, especially the key matchups for the whole conference. You know, I think that's a, you know, rising tide, whatever lifts all boats or whatever the, the saying is. Um, so I, you kind of need that to happen. But when you have a bunch of out of conference losses in the marquee games early on, it kind of brings the whole, the conference down as a whole. And then when Washington's trying to get into the playoff or whoever it is, then you're, you're fighting an uphill battle because of that. Um, so I think you kind of need that, but also someone's got to go through. We've, we've seen, uh, some big bowl wins, you know, especially from Stanford. They've been, you know, so solid. Uh, even last year, which was looked at as a down year, they still, you know, won a bunch of games. And, uh, so I think someone's got to win a, a championship. Like if Washington would have won the national championship this year, you know, upset Washington and beat Clemson in the final, uh, I think that would have done a lot for the entire conference. Cause it's like, Hey, there, there are other people. We've seen them win a title, uh, in the last 20 years or whatever. Um, so I, I think that would be great. And we, Oregon had a shot. They were so close. You know, they almost beat Cam Newton and, you know, they just, just couldn't get over the top. And I think, I think you kind of need that, Dave, someone to kind of step forward or UCLA to play to the potential when people are picking them for, you know, to make the playoff and they win four games. It's like you need some of that just to be, you know, more well, consistent. If you, if you need that, you're going to be waiting. <laughs> <laughs> but something like one other team, you know, and you know, we don't know how, you know, USC won nine games in a row and they won the Rose Bowl. That was great. But are they, you know, you got to convince, you got to show me that they're going to be back to, they're going to have expectations this year. They're going to be a top five team. Do they go out and lay an egg against like Texas or, or Stanford again early in the that season? You know, fire much egg laying. Tom Herman's no joke. No. Yeah. I mean, and he, that's a really talented team um, yeah. that, you know, that, that Charlie Strong left there. So, yeah, it's different. We saw Lane Kiffin, you know, get preseason number one after they won 10 games on sanctions and then, you know, win seven, you know, go seven and six the next year. So we don't know what's going to happen with the USC, but we don't know what anybody, you know, is Washington going to be able to take a step forward? Colorado loses a lot. They won 10 games. Um, so yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of questions in the Pac 12, but it would be nice, I think, for the conference in general, if someone does break through and not just make the playoffs, but, you know, make a run and, and win a title. Uh, I think that helps the Pac-12. Right now, Pac-12 haven't had a title in a long time. Yeah, and I mean, I think to to speak to maybe Earl's larger point, which I, I don't know necessarily that was made here, but it has been, to your point, 26 years since a team other than USC won a national championship in the Pac-12. Is that right? Washington in 91? Uh, yeah, is that is that right? 26? Well, I guess... No, that's 36, Col- right? Yeah, Colorado had its... No, that was 26. No, uh, Colorado yeah, okay. had its in, uh, didn't they have theirs in like 95? They were, I don't know. weren't they 90? Do we know anything? Yeah. Do we know anything? Like, do we know anything in life? Because <laughs> I feel so dumb right now. Yeah, I think Colorado was 1990. 
Yeah. So they were 1990. So then you had Washington 91. Um, and then not much else besides that. And then USC have their run, the uh, aughts. So, yeah, it would be nice for the Pac-12 to have another team do that or even have USC do it at some point soon because it's been a while since any Pac-12 team's done it. So Yeah. yeah. We'll see. All right. We had a, we we had a tweet from Rotness, R-O-T-N-E-S. He said, question, who are the best sleeper spotters among Pac-12 coaches and programs and who finds and develops the most zero to three stars? What do you think, Dave? Well, you could make an argument. So it's going to be one of the programs that gets a lot of three stars. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, I mean, I think the, the, the programs that probably do the best develop, best bang for their buck. I mean, I would say Utah gotta be up there. Um, never really recruiting it more than like, uh, I think their best classes are like top 35 level. Um, but they get, they get some of the, the LDS mission guys, not quite as many as BYU gets, but they get some of that. They get some JC guys, and then I think they evaluate and recruit guys to their system pretty well as, a, you know, in the three-star range. Um, they're probably my number one in terms of that. Um, I think Washington State, to particular positions, does a good job of that. I mean, Luke Falk was, I think he was like a two-star walk-on or whatever. Um, and then their receiver positions, I think they can make guys work who aren't necessarily super heralded. Um but I think that's more of a system thing. I think from a development standpoint, I think you you got to look at Utah, um, Washington certainly to an extent. I mean, they're again that's a school that went to the playoff this year, but they weren't. It's not like they recruited a bunch of top five classes. Um, Sark certainly recruited well there, um, and Chris Peterson's recruited fine, but they haven't been you know some recruiting juggernaut, and they developed really really well and turned out into a uh, playoff worthy team. So. You know, and it's no surprise that Kyle Whittingham and Chris Peterson are two of the best coaches in the Pac-12 because I think they do a great job of player development. They do. You know, we saw a couple of years ago where Washington lost four guys that were, you know, three first rounders on defense and one second rounder and end up having a better defense the next year. And so I, I think I mean, it shows you what Chris Peterson is able to do with their schemes and development and all that. I'd probably throw Oregon State in the mix a little bit too, Dave. Um, you know, even when Mike Riley was there, not just the, the current staff, but they do seem to, you know, every once in a while, like, wow, that defense is just, you know, flashing all over the place and do, and you, you look at it, it's a bunch of three star dudes that they're able to, uh, kind of mold into, uh, you know, really, you know, take some pieces and put it together and you have a really nice puzzle. And, uh, so I think Oregon State does a pretty good job of that as well. For sure. And we've got another email question. Okay. This is from Anthony. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Besides your alma maters, which Pac-12 university would you want to attend? And which university outside the Pac-12? Um, if I have to pick just one in the Pac-12, it would have been probably Stanford. But if it's really a tie for me, Stanford or Washington. Um, Washington's got to have the prettiest campus. Um and I, I kind of like the Pacific Northwest. Don't let Brandon's shade uh, bring you down. <laughs> Northwest, I, I like you just fine. Um, and Stanford, uh, for the academics, uh, I didn't apply out of high school. And I if, if I had and I'd gotten in, I would have gone there over UCLA. So I, I don't think I would have picked Washington over UCLA coming out of high school. But knowing after seeing Washington and after spending some time up in the Northwest, I might have, you know, if I, if I could go back in time and apply to Washington... I might have gone there. Interesting. 
Um, yeah. I, I guess it depends for me. Like I, you know, you were a West Coast guy. I was an East Coast guy, so I was moving out here, really sight unseen. Never even have been out here before. Um, but I do like LA. So if I wasn't going to go to SC, I'd probably pick UCLA. I'd go go over there. Uh, I think Washington would be cool if it was just for like, you know, for fun. Arizona State. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like it depends what I'm doing. like. Uh, am I yeah, going no. back to get my engineering degree and all that kind of stuff? Like, uh, well, then I, yeah. oh, if we're, if we're going pure like you know <laughs> cynical attitude toward it, like if I could really drop myself back in and you know on the firm understanding that where you get your undergraduate degree in this era of you need a graduate degree to do pretty much anything. Um, yeah, I would just go to wherever I could have the most fun, right? <laughs> Why not? Um, yeah, I think kids, sta- follow my advice. Yeah, I think Stanford would be very interesting too. Um, yeah, I like the farm. Yeah, I think that's, I don't think like my personality probably wouldn't work at Cal as much. Um, yeah. but, I, but I think yeah. I could have fun at like a Washington state, like pull, I, 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 I've never really lived in like a little college town, but I think I could do it. I think that some of that stuff would be kind of fun too. I want a supercut of every complimentary thing Ryan has ever said about Washington State, but I want you to filter out him talking about that one bar and see if there's anything else that he's said about Washington State. The kook? I didn't mention the kook in this one. Um, yeah, I know. I know. You did. It was hard um, to, it was hard to get a cab up there. Uh, I don't even know if they have Uber. They don't have Uber at, uh, like Oregon. Cause you know that Oregon's had some issues and I didn't bring this up with Brandon cause we didn't have a lot of time, but so, you know, with, uh, you know, getting a DUI, like two coaches in the car, getting a DUI, um, you know, sending guys to the hospital during their, uh, their off season workouts. There's been some weird, you know, stuff going on under Willie Taggart's watch this first uh, month or so. But we were, we were talking about that. Like, I think it was Kyle Bornegoro was on Twitter. Like, why don't you just get an Uber? And then someone's like, they don't allow Uber and Lyft in, in Eugene. And I was like, what? They don't even allow that there. So that huh. would, that would be a, that might be a deal breaker for me, Dave. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, which university outside the Pac-12? Oh. I'd, I'd go like a, I, you could talk me into a Georgetown. I'd be down for that. Ooh. Um, if we're talking from a pure cynical attitude, uh, certainly like Tulane or, uh, one of the other universities in the New Orleans area. Uh, <laughs> I could for sure do that. Um, but yeah, I, I like DC a lot. So you could talk me into Georgetown. Um, Texas, but the problem with Texas is, uh, the the weather is damned unbearable for about five months of the year. Huh. And I don't want huh. that. Um, I like DC too. My my sister lives in Alexandria, and my my buddy who I played volleyball with in high school went to GW George Washington. And I actually came out. I think I came out to visit him, and they needed somebody. I like subbed on their team. <laughs> like it was like a club team or something. We we're playing some other university. And I played for GW, but I, uh, DC's cool. I think a city campus is kind of fun. My mom ended up going to Boston College or, you know, BU or BC because I'm, you know, from New England. I think that'd be kind of neat. I, w- I got into Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh where I lived when I was a kid. I almost went there for engineering and then I d- decided to come west. Uh, I, you mentioned Texas. I think that would be fun. I love Austin, even though, you know, some of the weather stuff, but that, I think that would be a really cool thing. I, you know, I'm curious about Columbus, um, Ohio State, maybe. Um, Ooh. No, no, no. Be a little too cold. Yeah. It's a, you got to uh, keep me out of the middle too. I need to be near some like, you know, it's like that claustrophobia. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I'm trying to think of a Florida like, like a Florida stay or Miami or something. Like I don't know if I would do. I couldn't. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. Just I. I don't know if I could do that. Just, no. No, Is, I could uh, not do that. 
No. Um, if you're talking to one of the big SEC schools, like going to Tennessee would be cool. Um, oh yeah, my wife's gonna kill me. I didn't mention Tennessee for sure for me. Uh. You, you know, I was giving you, I was giving you a little hint there. Um, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> There's lots of good schools. There's lots of fun stuff out there. George, like uh, Old Miss, because of the uh, the Grove. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be yeah. pretty awesome. That'd um, be great. But you know, like my I, one of my writers that I hired, uh, Dan Wykey, who covers uh, covers the Clippers for the Orange County Register. Now he he worked at the Rivals site for Old Miss at the time, and when he moved out to L.A. to cover USC, his biggest thing was we didn't have a Best Buy within like a half an hour of where we were. Like it was, I mean, you're out there; it's kind of a middle of nowhere sort of thing. So I think that would probably, I don't think I could do that. Like I just so used to having stuff around I, that might bug me. Yeah, for sure. All right, that's it for me. I've got no more questions. Yeah, me either. We think we got to all the tweets and uh, your emails and stuff. So sorry, it's been a couple weeks. Um, I'm not going to say I've like texted Dave to see if we could do a show and he didn't respond. I'm not going to say that. Um, no, 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 don't say that. I don't think you should. I don't think you should. I don't I think, want to... I mean, whether it's accurate or not, I don't. I, I just don't think you should say that. But we've both been busy with like real life stuff i mean i was out of the country my house is tented right now we still don't have hot water yet like this is kind of crazy just a guy with two children that's just my life two kids (laughs) right um so we so we apologize but yeah send us your we'll do shows after signing day we'll do previews for spring football but any kind of uh, ideas send us your questions we'd love to talk about it all right buddy sweet that's david woods i'm ryan abraham Scout.com, BrewerReportOnline.com, USCFootball.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We are the podcast of champions, and we will talk to you next time.